Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. I just want to pause to celebrate. Uh, you know, the lady prayer always reminds me that the sermon is an event that doesn't happen unless the people are gathered, unless we've prayed and the Spirit is present. It's so much more than the words or even the, the scriptures that we read and proclaim, but it's the response and the hearts of a congregation. And we, I come from the congregation and just stand among you as one of you. And so it's a, it's a joy to be a part of the sermon we all get to experience today. So uh, thank you for being here. This last week, uh, Coach Mike Krzyzewski uh, announced that he would be retiring at the end of the 2022 season. Uh, Coach K, as he's affectionately referred to, has been coaching the Duke Blue Devils since the 80s. And so he's coached at West Point before that under Bobby Knight. And he, it will be argued when he retires next year that Coach K is the greatest uh, basketball coach of all time and it will be disputed and all of that, but some people will make that argument. And he gave a moving speech. If you wanna hear something inspirational uh, from someone who's been in a business that is cutthroat, where there's a lot of cheating, where they face challenges of developing young people year after year, and someone who's weathered that storm with his family and done it in a, 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 with integrity, it's a great little press conference. And Coach K has just moved through the whole thing. He just keeps saying over and over again, I'm such a lucky man. I'm such a lucky man. And he had his family there, and he said, you know, I just, I'll have so many more things to say and more people to thank. But I just now, he's just thanking his family, and he's thanking people that gave him an opportunity, like Coach Knight and uh, like the, his coach. He mentions a priest in high school that was a teacher that believed in him, and he mentions his high school basketball coach that believed in him. And he said, you know, I got to be a part of the greatest leadership institution in the world. I got to coach under one of the greatest coaches in the world. And he just goes through and just talking about how lucky. You can tell what a humble guy. But it's very moving, and the way he talks about his family. Now, we don't know the whole story about Coach K's family and don't need to know the whole story. We know that he appreciates being located in a family. And one of the things we give thanks for, you know, it's holidays, and anytime we're together with our family, you can picture yourselves gathered around at the patriarch or matriarch's uh, house for Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter or Mother's Day or something like that, and we say, uh, God, we thank you that you saw fit to raise us in families. You know, God could have created us any way he wanted to, and somehow he saw fit that a man and a woman would raise a family, and that's how we would grow, and that's what way it would happen. And so in God's wisdom, we live in families. We don't get to pick our families. Sometimes we have families that we wouldn't trade for anything. Other times we have families that we would trade for any other family that we can think of, and sometimes we go through those things. But either way, uh, we, we have a family. And so sometimes our family, even our family, misunderstands us. Any, any amens out there? Do you remember a time in your life where your family misunderstood you? Maybe you were off to college. Maybe you were uh, having your own children, and you were just thinking, does anyone really understand me? 
Do, do me and my mother, do we live on the same planet? Do my father and I, does he, does he live in the same world that I live in? Do my sisters know what I'm really going through? Uh, does my uncle understand how unbelievably annoying it is when he says that to me? Or whatever thing you may want to think of, just take your favorite family story of misunderstanding. Jesus, in the story that Russ read for us, is misunderstood. Are you surprised by that? That even his own mother and brothers, they misunderstand him terribly. In fact, they say, they come to the house where he is, and he's teaching and he's doing his thing, and they say, uh, Jesus has gone berserk. I mean, that's kind of how it's translated. Jesus has gone nuts. They're like, he's crazy. He's losing his mind, and they try to get him out. They're basically like, you know, it's like, let's pull him off the stage before he does something, before he really says something that he can't take back. You know those moments where you just want to go up and grab your kid or your uncle, and you're like, man, if you could stop talking now, I'll give you $100. Um, but, well, that's what they're doing with Jesus. They're like, please, just shut it off, okay? Whatever crazy Kool-Aid you drank last week that has you out here healing and teaching and casting out demons, we are confused, and we're just trying to save our family's reputation. Would you please just calm down, like quiet down? That's what they're saying. So Mark uh, has this way of storytelling, and it's fascinating. Uh, English teachers or people that notice these things, it, it's, it's beautiful storytelling. Mark loves to use what we might call a sandwich technique. There's probably a more technical term for it. Uh, but he'll tell a little bit of a story, and then he'll sandwich something in the middle, and then, of course, have the you know, piece of bread on the other side. In this case, Mark has a little family story, household story. Then he goes into this other thing that we'll talk about in a minute. And then he finishes out by talking about family again. And it's all governed by this word household or oikos. And it goes through and there's lots of commerce, lots of talk about what it means to be in a house, uh, a household. So um, we're, we're learning about this. Now in the middle section between family and household and family and household, part one and part two, there's this little section where Jesus has conflict uh, that's based on misunderstanding again. So Jesus is actually misunderstood twice in this story, once by his own family and once by this group of, that we're calling scribes. Now the scribes, it's sufficient for today's purposes to understand that they were the big guns, okay? They were, uh, so it's like you have your, your local you know, law enforcement look at something, then you have kind of the regional look at it, and then one day the FBI just shows up, and you're going, why is the FBI here? Uh, and it's because it's really time to kind of, they had to bring in somebody that really, you know, they wanted a different perspective. The scribes were like the FBI in that way. They were, they were the ones that were called upon. They were, they were at a higher level of authority and training than the Pharisees in Galilee. So they would have come from somewhere else, and they're here to prosecute Jesus. We already see in the stories before, people are looking for a way to destroy Jesus. That's the language Mark uses. Um, they're looking for a way to destroy Jesus. So this is a hostile environment. This is the time you need your family, you know, to understand what you're doing. And they are trying to get Jesus to be quiet or to be somebody else. And so then the scribes misunderstand Jesus. So we're going through this bit. Well, in the middle where the scribes are misunderstanding Jesus, they make an accusation. And they said, we know what's going on here. We were trained. We know, when, we know crazy when we see crazy. We understand that Jesus is actually the devil. And he's trying to cast out demons as the devil. 
So they use this word Beelzebul, and it's the only time, the gospel is the only time we see it. It's kind of like slang for um, like the prince of Baal. Remember the Old Testament God, Baal? This would be like some slang, this Canaanite God. Uh, Jesus would be the prince of that. So basically, Jesus is the prince of evil, and he's, as the prince of evil, he's like putting on a little, a little ruse here, and he's, he's trying to cast out evil. And, and Jesus just responds very casually by saying, well, that's dumb. He says, well, why, why, would, why, would, some, you know, why, would, uh, why would there be a house divided here? You know, if you wanted to cast out evil out of a house, it wouldn't make sense if you were evil in the house already to cast yourself out of the house. He's like, a house divided against itself can't stand. A kingdom that's divided against itself can't stand. So he just explains it and says, I don't, I don't know why you guys are talking about this. It makes no sense to talk about it that way. Um, if Satan had risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but he's coming to an end. And then he says this little interesting phrase, which is the most puzzling one for me in the context in the sandwich. I'm like, why is this part in the sandwich? But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, all sins will be forgiven, the, son, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, so this would be, you know, curses kind of against God, um, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So, the scribes are blaspheming, misunderstanding Jesus, um, families misunderstanding Jesus. And we have this little bit here that just causes, it causes me every time I read it, when you see that word, is guilty of uh, an eternal sin, never has forgiveness. Uh, anybody else in the room just kind of perk up and go, uh-oh, uh, you know, am I standing in, in a good place here? So, Jesus is saying, okay, you're saying that I'm the devil trying to cast out the devil. That's not what I'm doing but let me tell you what I am doing. And so he begins to, he proceeds to tell them what I am doing. What I am doing is I am the one that has set up shop here, I'm on a mission, and I am binding up the strong man. <laughs> He's like, I have come into the house of all evil, and I'm tying up the guy that's in charge, and now it's time for me to plunder and to take back the stolen goods. And I never realized until this reading, this time, going through, I, it dawned on me, we are the plunder. We are the plunder. We're the ones that have been held in bondage and in captivity. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, this is my purpose. This is why I'm here. I, I've tied up the strong man, and now it's time to set the people free. It's the new exodus. It's time to set the people free so that they can follow me because I'm here to lead them and the places they need to go. And I'm like, yeah, that's genius, Mark. Thank you for telling the story that way. It's family and misunderstanding, and then we have this Beelzebul thing, and Jesus is coming in and setting everybody free so that we can find a family in following Jesus. Even when our own family misunderstands us, there's always a family in the household of Jesus. Jesus saying, I'm greater than Satan and anything that he holds prisoner. I'm greater than all evil. I am light. I'm the light of the world. I'm on the scene, and now the darkness must go away. 
Jesus is saying, I'm entering the strong man's house in order that I might steal away, steal back the plunder that is mine, that I'm going to redeem. That is my decision. So the gospel is announced here by Jesus. Uh, It's a beautiful reminder of what the gospel is. The gospel is, Jesus says, truly I say to you, it's kind of that amen, amen. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. Isn't that good news? All sins. Not a few sins, not the ones that were listed in this place, but not this place. All sins will be forgiven the children of man whatever and whatever blasphemies they utter. So, okay, whew, okay, good. So all sins and anything I've said, anything I've done, anything is, everything is in the scope of forgiveness. Jesus just, it's the panoramic. And he says, nothing is off the table. All sins can be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So uh, just to assuage the the fears and the anxiety of all of us in the room, uh, the, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit we can see from the context. It's not just one thing that we say one time. It's not one thing that we do one time. This is uh, not a one little act, something that happened when we were 16, something that happened when we were 35, and we just wonder whether we'll ever be forgiven for it. It's natural for humans to, all of us think at some times in our lives, I've done a certain thing or I've said a certain thing, and I cannot have forgiveness for that. It's, it's natural. It's what shame does to us. It's what the devil talks, he's always telling us. Uh, but Jesus is reminding us all sins are, can be forgiven. The thing that can't be forgiven is resisting Jesus. A lifetime or a lifestyle or an overwhelming, just an over and over and over running away from Jesus is the only thing that can't be forgiven because we haven't come to Jesus for forgiveness. So even the anxiety, if, if we're anxious about whether we can be forgiven for something, we can be forgiven for something because that anxiety is telling us uh, that we are concerned and we're interested in forgiveness. We're interested in the possibility of repentance. That's the most hopeful place you can be is wondering whether you can be forgiven for something because that's the moment Jesus says absolutely and always. But it's the times where we say, like I said for so long in my life, I don't really need forgiveness or need Jesus because I'm doing pretty well on my own. And I kind of like the life that I'm putting together for myself. So uh, thanks, Jesus, but I'm sure there's somebody else you can help. You know, that kind of pride is resisting blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Or, of course, living and persisting in evil. Maybe even living and persisting in evil and calling it good. Remember when Isaiah said that? He said, you evil generation, you, you call evil good and you call good evil. Like you're totally confused. So maybe when we persist in that, when we say, okay, I'm doing this thing over here, it's totally evil but I'm just going to call it good. I'm going to kind of say, no, it's okay. Or when I'm doing something really good and I call it evil, uh, when we're backwards on that and we persist in that, that's what Jesus is talking about. We persist in shutting the door to the redemption that Jesus wants to give. It's like Jesus has broken into the scene and he comes in for this rescue op and he's pulling us out of the strong man's house and we say, no thanks, I'll just stay here. That's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Or we say, yeah, great, Jesus, I'm coming with you. And then we decide, no, I, that's more than I thought it was. I'm going to turn around and go back to the house that I was locked in before. 
And it sounds crazy, but we do that. So those are the times where we're in danger of unforgiveness is when we're just running away. You know, we're, we, don't, we don't want anything to do with Jesus. So um, Jesus can find us in those places too, but uh, that's the places that we are really in danger. So um, it's not a one bad decision thing. It's a life of rejecting redemption, of resisting God. So then Jesus is seen as Mark kind of closes out the story. It's the mothers and brothers, and, and they come, and they call to him, you know, and they're, they're, they're finally getting there, and they're like, oh, gosh, finally, Jesus, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to get you out of here. We're going to save face for our embarrassed family. And um, the people say, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside, and they're looking for you. And Jesus answers, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he answers his own question. He looks around at the people that are sitting in his presence. These are his disciples and those that are following him. And he looks around and he says, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Isn't that great? Jesus takes something that's really good, the nuclear family, and and he says, he expands that and says, this is, this is my family now. It's those that do the will of God. He just opens the playbook to something we hadn't even thought of. This is the new family of the kingdom of God, those who do the will of God. And so, hence the title, Jesus, our misunderstood brother. <laughs> we are the brother, we are brothers and sisters of Jesus. Uh, he's not just our savior. But Jesus has identified himself as our brother, which in so many ways is humbling for me. But we are brothers and sisters of Jesus on the basis of being members of the church and doing the will of God. So we're, we're doing the will of God, and, you know, we understand this. In order to do the will of God or anyone, you have to know the will of that person. So for us to know the will of God, we have to learn the will of God, and the way that we learn the will of God it's by sitting at the feet of Jesus. The, the posture of the people that are sitting around Jesus, that's the posture of a student. That's the posture of someone that's saying, hey, teach me. And that's our posture as we uh, grow together in the church, as we sit and listen to Jesus. I read in the Psalms this week uh, something I just can't get out of my head. And it's David uh, praying in Psalm 40. And he says, um, he says, you know, God, when the book is written on me, when, when, when the book is written, I love that phrase, just to think of that. But hey, when, when, when the story of my life is written, David says, I love to do your will, O Lord. Your commandments, your law is deep within my heart. Isn't that a great just summary way of life? When the book is written on me, let it be said that I love to do your will. I don't do your will because I and bored and I can't think of anything else to do. I don't love to do your will. I don't do your will because I just am afraid if I don't, it's too bad. Uh, but I do your will because I love to. <laughs> There's an economy of, of love and obedience and desire that David is talking about. This is an old thing and Jesus is opening this up to all of us and saying, if you would like to do the will of God, if you would like to be truly happy, to find something that will fulfill you forever, you can do the will of God and on that basis, you will always have a family. Isn't that great? 
Isn't that part of the gospel? If you, if you learn and love and do the will of God, you will always have a family. So, Coach K, Coach Krzyzewski, um, the second thing he said, you know, he really praised uh, every, everyone in the room for, for the opportunities that he had been given. But he said a second thing. He said, you know, in life, to really, to really get where we need to be, we, we can't just have opportunities. That's the first thing. But the second thing that we have to have is someone behind us. We have to have somebody that believes in us along the way. And you can just think of the teachers. You can think of the coaches. Uh, you can think of the people that believed in you, the, the mentors. And as I was listening to that press conference and thinking about this sermon, I thought Jesus has a group of people that are sitting around him and they're there because they realize Jesus is giving them both things. Jesus is giving them an opportunity to love the will of God and to live in the happiest way possible. And he's giving them a lifetime of people that will believe in them. Because as long as we're in the church, we are the body of Christ. We're the family of Jesus. And so when we say to one another, uh, I believe in you, and you say, uh, you know, I believe in you, we say that to each other, what we're saying is, I believe in the Jesus that lives in you. And on that basis, I have utmost hope. Even in the midst of the darkest hour, I have great hope because of the Jesus that lives inside of you. Now, this, of course, doesn't mean that uh, one of our kids somewhere along the way started calling our family, like our little group of Strebex, uh, our house family. So we call that our house family. So it's not that our house families aren't important. It's just that they're not primary because no house family is equipped to present to us the fullness of God. For that, we need the church. And thanks be to God because it takes the pressure off of our families too. Uh, we don't have to be all things to our family as mothers and fathers and grandparents, and we're, we're going to do our best. But for the true happiness we want for them, they need the church, and so do we. So we rejoice today uh, that Jesus has given us this family uh, that we long for and that we find on the basis of doing the will of God because we love to. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.